Coming up this week, J. Scott Coatsworth is here as part of the 2016 GRL Blog Tour, and the creators of Truth Slash Fiction talk to us about their award-winning new comedy pilot. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 41 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. Yourself? I'm fine. We have got a jam-packed episode this week. It is. So let's get right to it. Right to it. First off, last night, that we're recording on Sunday, the uh, 17th, and last night on the 16th, the Rita Awards were given out during RWA, which was happening this weekend. Uh, congrats to two LGBT winners. Uh, Serena Bowen and Elle Kennedy won in the Contemporary Romance Mid-Length category for their book, Him. And Alexis Hall won in the Erotic Romance category for For Real, A Spire Story. So congrats to both of them. And to all the other reader winners from last night. Mm-hmm. And in case you missed it, we do have an interview with Serena uh, where she talked about him and its sequel, Us, that happened back in episode 22, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So one of our very favorite summer things is coming this week. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> the Reebok CrossFit Games. And you're like, CrossFit? Athlete? What? That doesn't make sense. Oh, but it does because it is days of hot men doing very athletic things. <laughs> <laughs> and at times, in very little clothing. Yes. Yeah. So the, the CrossFit games are designed to test for overall fitness. And it, they crown the fittest on earth for men, women, teams, teenagers, and masters all weekend. This this will run from Tuesday, July 19th to Saturday, July 24th. Sorry, Sunday, July 24th. Uh, you'll be able to watch on ESPN in the States, uh, both on the app and on cable. And around the world, you can look at games.crossfit.com for where you could catch it streaming, uh, depending on where you live. So how much are you looking forward to it this year? I think it's going to be uh, really good. I mean, it's always entertaining every single year. Um, you and I both are crushing very hard on uh, Matt Frazier. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, he was the second fittest man in the world last year. And the year before. He um, was second twice. He is just the most adorable, furry, little sex bear that you can Oof. imagine. Yeah. Uh, so, good luck to Matt this weekend. Uh, yeah. And we'll be watching. If you want to know more about CrossFit, you can check out Netflix. They recently released the documentary about last year's games. It's called Fittest on Earth. And you can check it out there. It's streaming. Yep. Watch it anytime you want. And uh, check out the um, online schedule. Uh, cause yeah, as we're recording, we don't know the schedule because they, they keep it kind of impromptu to keep the athletes yeah. on their toes. Yes, they do. So um, we'll link to the game site, we'll link to the CrossFit site, and we'll link to Netflix so you can check the documentary. And uh, we'll maybe link to a picture to a Matt, too, because <laughs> so adorable. Time now for the GRL Guest Author Spotlight. We're happy to welcome J. Scott Coatsworth to the podcast as part of the official 2016 GRL blog tour. Scott has been writing since elementary school when he won a University of Arizona writing contest in the fourth grade for his first sci-fi story. He finished his first novel in his mid-twenties, but then after seeing it rejected by 10 publishers, gave up on writing for a while. 
Then one day he was complaining to Mark, his husband, about how he had been derailed yet again. And Mark said to him, the only one you're, the only one stopping you from writing is you. That's very good advice, Mark. Keep that up. Um, <laughs> since then, Scott has gone back to writing in a big way, finishing more than a dozen short stories, some new and some that he had started years before. He's embarking on two new trilogies and also runs the Queer Sci-Fi site as a support group for writers of gay speculative fiction. Thanks for being with us, Scott. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So let's start off talking about your most recent work, which is the short story Flames, that's in the A More Perfect Union anthology that came out from Dream Spinner uh, back on the 26th of June. Yeah, that was actually one of my favorite works. It's um, B.G. Thomas had come to me about a year and a half ago and asked me to do a story uh, for an anthology he was working on. He wanted to do something that was uh, all male authors, all gay male authors that were married, and have each one write about the uh, kind of journey to a wedding. And so I decided to uh, do that with a story set in my old hometown of Tucson um, and also kind of brought in some of my other favorite things. I've um, put some Italian there. I've got an Italian character. Um, but it's just, it's a really, um, it's one of the stories that came from my heart. Um, about these two, this couple that uh, one of them is injured in a fire and they don't know if he's going to wake up or not and the other one never took the opportunity to get married. And uh, so yes, yeah, so I'm really excited about that one coming out. It's actually coming out for Marriage Equality Day. Yeah, it was good timing on that. Good job with Dream Spinner uh, hitting that date so well. Uh, thank you. Now you've also got The Great North, which is coming out this fall. What have we got to look forward to with that? Um, that's my first um, post-apocalyptic story. Um, I kind of give my stories all weird sort of names. This is my post-apocalyptic uh, set in Quebec with a Welsh legend story. Uh, <laughs> it's for the uh, Mr. Corner Books anthology, uh, Myths and Legends. And it does deal with the uh, legend of um, a, a Welsh saint um, that basically is their St. Valentine. Um, it's a story about someone who was in love with someone else, uh, couldn't have them. And then, uh, of course, the person you know was lost to them and there's all kinds of gods and legends things going on. But it was, it was a lot of fun to write, and I've been doing a lot of research um, on this particular area of Quebec to kind of set the stories at the stage. Now, tell us what kind of writing you actually specialize in. I have a couple main specialties. Um, I like to write sci-fi and fantasy. That was always my first love. And, and my mom got me started reading uh, Lord of the Rings when I was in uh, third grade finished the whole thing that, that year. Um, but I also like to write, uh, kind of gotten into doing a contemporary. Um, I don't just like doing regular contemporary, though. I like to have a little bit of a twist, so I tend to do contemporary with kind of a magical realism thing going on, a little something extra. So how do you define magical realism? Uh, magical realism, it's, it's a little different than urban fantasy. Urban fantasy is where you actually have kind of a fantasy setting in our current world. You know, you might have elves running around or dragons or, or what have you. Uh, magical realism is more like our actual world, but there's kind of little bits of magic woven in and out of it, um, things that uh, just, just like a little bit of uh, strangeness or it can even vary into paranormal a little bit, but just something like a heightened reality in our current world. So e even going back to Flames then, which sounds like it would be a very contemporary story. Did you weave some magical realism into that as well? I did a little bit. It, it's um, in the sense of you get to see kind of the inner life and, and what's going on with the character who's in a coma for a lot of the story. Um, there's uh, kind of a nod to you know what's there and what's beyond what we have here. Um, you, you see what the character goes through in that other kind of plane of existence in the meantime. So yeah, that was kind of my, my little nod to that in that story. What's your process for, I guess, figuring out how to meld in the magical realism with elements of our world? Is there research to do for that, or is it just all get to spring from your mind, or somewhere in between? Yeah, it, it comes from different places. Um, the very first story I sold, actually, uh, 
B.G. Thomas had bought that for a Dream Spinner anthology in 2014. It was called uh, The Bear at the Bar. And um, my idea for that was um, what if you had kind of a um, trading places type story where you had you know, two characters switch positions. Um, I had another one that I did that was, uh, again, the idea came from just the, the thing, which was what if you had a, a medallion that allowed you to actually hear the words behind the words people said to you, and you could have, hear what they were actually essentially thinking about you when they talked to you and about you. Um, so it usually comes from uh, one idea of, of kind of a magical thing, an, el an element in the story. Um, sometimes I'm just writing the story and it's just seeming too vanilla and boring to me. And I'm like, okay, I got to come up with something here and something just kind of, you know, fits into it. So it, it just depends. So I'm curious, given the sci-fi that you like to write, what kind of sci-fi do you like to read? Ooh, well, I started with the classics. I started with, you know, Asimov and Clark, especially. Um, but one of my favorite recent ones is uh, Peter Hamilton's books. I don't know if you've ever read those. No. Um, he does this uh, really cool world um, called the Commonwealth, where the idea was you could take um, and send a spaceship to another place and carry a gate there. And once you had the gate there, you could open it up to your world, and then you could run trains through it. And so he has this really fantastic future world where stuff is delivered between worlds on trains. And the very rich people have houses where you might have a room on you know, on Earth somewhere in a beautiful place. And then you might have, uh, you know, walk through a doorway and a gateway, essentially. And then your second room might be on Mars. And your third room might be, you know, on the moon of Saturn looking over the rings. And so you, you have this really cool idea. And then, of course, at some point, all the gateways get shut down. And so all these things that were, you know, this close together are now you know, light years apart. So I, I love that kind of really intense um, high-tech sci-fi. Now, what's the, the queer sci-fi group that you run? So Chris Sci-Fi started as a way for me to have a kind of community online on Facebook specifically and then kind of grew beyond that. Um, when I first was getting back into writing a couple of years ago, I was looking for some place that I could kind of uh, connect with the writers and, and um, originally it was for my own personal gain. So I could say, you know, I've got all these great network connections and kind of get my work out there. Um, but it also has become this kind of uh, society originally of writers and now of writers and readers. Um, we have a regular online discussion group where we talk uh, every day about a different topic. We do uh, Mimi Monday, uh, we call it M3 for Mimi, MMM, right? Um, which confuses people because MMM also has a different connotation. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so people can come, uh, authors can talk about their latest books and, and people can come and see what's out new out there. Uh, and then we have the website and we do reviews and we've also uh, started doing a, a yearly anthology of flash fiction that we do as a, uh, a contest and then we publish uh, the best works. So it's really grown into this big thing, and I'm hoping to kind of take it a lot of other directions over the next couple of years. Cool. How big would you say the the community within gay fiction is for queer sci-fi? That's a tricky one. I mean, I think when I was at the Dream Spinner conference earlier this year, the retreat, they said that sci-fi was one of their three kind of lowest selling things, sci-fi fantasy. Um, but the thing with this community is it's a very dedicated community. People are really intense about their, their like for it. Um, so I think that there is a good group of people out there. I'd say there are you know, a few thousands of people within the MM romance community that really like sci-fi fantasy. But where I want to take things is beyond that. I think that we've got a really great group of writers who do romance, and the romance is, is a wonderful thing. We also have a lot of writers who want to do more on the sci-fi side where you have stuff that is driven by the sci-fi, the fantasy, or the speculative fiction plot. Um, and really includes gay characters or LGBTIQA characters all across the spectrum, but it's not you know just uh, only driven by the romance plot. So I want to see some of that, those things kind of go over into the mainstream, whether that's being published by Dream Spinner or one of other publishers and Dream DSP publications, and kind of works way into the mainstream, and or whether some of these authors start to actually show up with the mainstream publishers. 
I think there's a big opportunity to take these things over to that side and really grow that. That's that's a great endeavor. I like it. And that's kind of my, uh, I wouldn't say my life's work. That's my work over the next five years. <laughs> so what are you working on next in your own writing? So I've got, uh, once I finish The Great North, I'm, I'm sending that off um, in the next couple of days. Uh, I have three things that I've been working on. Um, I have two novels, novels, uh, sci-fi novels that are the starts of series, uh, hopefully start of trilogies. Um, the first one of those is Oberon, and Oberon is my... How do I describe this one? It's my half a world slash men with wings story. Uh, it's my wing fic story. Um, it's about this uh, planet that was mysteriously split in half at some point. So it literally is a, it's like a half of a, a melon or half of a sphere. And there's a character on the planet who is, is trying to figure out what's going on aided by someone else who's come from somewhere else. Um, so that, that it does have a romance thread through it, but it's really not driven by the romance. It's driven by the sci-fi. Um, I'm also working on one called Across the Stark Divide, which um, that novel that I wrote years ago and it was rejected by 10 publishers. Mm -hmm. um, I always wanted to redo that, um, but I decided the best way to do it, um, it was a set in a, like a life ship going through space. The best way to do it was to go back before and figure out how that happened, how it got there, you know, what the, the origin of that was. So I'm working on a right now a three-part story that's going to tell the first part of that origin, um, kind of three epic sections. And that one is really... Um, much more sci-fi driven even than the other one where it's, it doesn't have, it's, it's got some relationships, but it's got gay characters and lesbian characters and transgender characters. And it's kind of a more of a mix of things. Mm -hmm. um, and the last thing I've got a um, novella that I'm working on, it's a transgender story and it's about a kid now who is transgender and someone that was my age in high school who was gay and helps the kid kind of come to terms basically by saying, here's what I went through back then with my issue. And here's where you're at now with yours. And that there's a lot of, even though they're not the same, there's a lot of similarities in the way that we go through coming out and dealing with the ramifications of coming out in high school. <laughs> to, to drop back to the one that had the, the, the planet split in half, uh -huh. how much plotting do you do for that story? Are you, In other words, are you more of a plotter or a pantser when these things come? I used to be a total pantser, and that was my problem. I, I actually have all these short stories that I wrote, like the first scene or first two scenes, I just sat down and started writing. And then I never got anywhere with them because you know, I couldn't figure out where they went. Um, some of those I've actually taken and extended into full stories, like when I've come back to writing now. Um, but I found that I have to, especially if I have a deadline, I really have to sit down and at least sketch out a kind of chapter by chapter outline of what's going to happen. And sometimes I get halfway through that and it veers off in a whole different direction, and that's okay. But at least I've got an idea. So, so that particular one, I had sketched out the whole thing, written it, and then I sent it to Angel Martinez, my uh, friend and co-admin at Queer Sci-Fi. And she ripped apart my science on it. And so I, I set it on the shelf for a couple months, and I've come back to it. And I'm, I ended up having a lot of conversations with people that knew what they were talking about, about how the weather might work and how the gravity might work and how everything else in this, this strange planet would work. And it's going to be a much better story for all that. Um, but stories like that do require both a lot of plotting and also a fair amount of research to kind of at least make it sound plausible. So this is going to be your first GRL coming up. What are yeah. you looking forward to in Kansas City? I have... Almost literally no idea what to expect. Um, I've been to uh, RainbowCon. I went to the Dream Spinner Retreat. And both of those, my, my main favorite thing was basically just meeting all the people, um, getting to see the people one-on-one -on -one that I've known online uh, quite a lot and also meeting some new folks. So I think that's my, my main thing is to get to, to meet folks. Uh, beyond that, we're, gonna, we're lucky enough to have a course sci-fi table that was um, donated by MLR Press. Um, so we'll actually have a presence in the vendor room and be doing some, a little bit of selling there and kind of promotion. So it'll be good to also just get the word out about queer sci-fi. I think we're very well known now in the MM speculative fiction community, 
but we're not as well known in the general romance community and also the general later on sci-fi community. So it'll be a chance just to kind of connect with a lot of people that way. Excellent. So what's the best way for people to keep up with you online? Oh yeah, they can find me on Facebook under J. Scott Coatesworth. Uh, that's coats, like coats for jackets, and worth like what I'm worth. Um, but they can also go to jscottcoatesworth.com, and that's my uh, main presence online. I do a uh, regular weekly fiction uh, post there called River City Chronicles. It's a um, thousand-word story that I've got ongoing, and eventually will be a, a book about uh, Sacramento and gay and LGBTQA characters. Um, I do a regular column there, and I also talk about all my releases and, and things that are going on. All right, great. We'll link up to all that in the show notes. And Will and I look forward to catching up with you in Kansas City, too. Yeah, of course, seeing you again. You can follow the GRL Blog Tour by going to gayromlit.com slash 2016 blog tour. So as you know, if you've been following the blog tour, uh, we're doing a huge giveaway for the tour uh, on our on our podcast. We've got a 7-inch Fire tablet that's loaded with books from many of the authors that we're hosting. Plus, I'm throwing some of my books in, and Wild City Press is giving us books to put on the tablet uh, from their authors who will be attending GRL. Simply go to the show notes for episode 41, find the raffle copter there, do the stuff the raffle copter tells you to do to get your entries, and you'll be in to win. And this will be running through Sunday, October 23rd, which is the Sunday that GRL closes uh, this fall. So keep listening for more authors and keep getting your uh, methods of entry so that you can rack up points so you can maybe win that tablet with the books. Uh, what you'll need to know for this week is the word of the week to put into the raffle copter is him in honor of Serena and Elle winning their Rita Award for that book. Yeah. H-I-M. Him. Yes. Very simple word to put into the raffle copter this yes. week. Yeah. So this week we are very lucky and happy to have the guys behind the new pilot called True Slash Fiction. Um, just a quick little backstory. Uh, we came across a trailer for this proposed pilot online, saw it and absolutely loved it. I think you tweeted out, you know, this is the best thing ever. It is. <laughs> it really is, yes. And um, we ended up connecting with the guys through social media, mm -hmm. and uh, you invited them on the show, and they very graciously said yes, uh, and they also gave us a screener of the show. Confirming that it is best thing ever. Yeah, we we have been uh, very lucky to have seen this pilot and highly, um, well, I would say recommend it, but you can't see it just yet. <laughs> we love it to pieces, and the reason being is um, the pilot in a television show, it focuses around a teenage girl, her name is Emma, and after a particularly lame high school party, she connects with a friend from high school. And they get to talking, and they realize that they're both uh, completely in love with this one boy band uh, called Truth. And Emma's friend uh, invites her to this writing group that she's a part of. And what they do is they write slash fan fiction about this band and at first emma is a little you know mm, maybe that's not her thing but she ends up researching slash fiction on the internet and falls down the rabbit hole and decides to give slash fiction a try and that's the basic premise for the pilot episode of this show mm -hmm. now the two creators who were behind it charlie and daniel uh sat down with us 
and talked about the creation of the show, uh, the journey so far, and where they're hoping to take this in the future. Mm-hmm. And we think, I, mean, I think this resonates with our audience for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, A, it's gay fiction, right? And a gay TV show. Yeah. Um, but also we know from talking with many of the authors in the genre that there's a good bit, a good many who started with writing Slash. Mm-hmm. Um, so it all kind of pieces itself together uh, into something that uh, we think you guys will find a lot very interesting. Yeah. So here are Charlie and Daniel. We're excited to welcome Charlie Sohn and Daniel Slosh to the podcast. They are the creators of Truth Slash Fiction, a comedy pilot that follows 16-year-old Emma as she navigates the indignities of ad- adolescence. Through it all, Emma clings to the songs of the boy band Truth, and her love for the band leads her to join a group of fans who channel their devotion by writing slash fiction about the boys. At the end of June, the show won Best Comedy Pilot and Best Actress in a Comedy at Series Fest in Denver. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Let's take a moment and have you two introduce yourselves to the audience. Uh, I'm Daniel. Uh, I directed and produced the pilot. Uh, I... Uh, was college roommates with Charlie, and we used to make uh, silly movies in college, and basically doing the same thing now. Uh, a little silly TV, oh, silly TV shows now. <laughs> yeah, hopefully like a, a little bit of improvement since then. But yeah, just a touch. Just a touch. <laughs> uh, I and I'm Charlie. I uh, I'm the the writer uh, on the show, and uh, yeah, ten years ten years of of, of roommate dumb. So. Things have been things have been good. Yeah, that's very cool. So, housemate, housemate. Oh yeah, housemate. Yeah, <laughs> it's class here that way. We were immediately attracted to the premise of the show with the writing group based on Slash because several authors of the gay romance genre started out writing Slash. So, what inspired you guys to make a show revolving around that topic? Uh, yeah, well, uh, so I, I think it was about a year ago now um, that I read an article, um, I think it was on Slate, um, about a group of high school slash writers uh, who wrote Slash About One Direction. Um, and I was I was really taken with it uh, because, uh, for two reasons. Uh, one, I think uh, it struck me that all the writers, I, I really related to them. Uh, they sort of felt like, the people who I guess we were in high school, um, creative, offbeat, funny, self-aware, uh, um, uh, kids who were, who were, you know, um, I think maybe in a previous generation would have been, uh, writing off in the corner in isolation. Um, you know, but like because of the internet and because of Tumblr and, uh, that, that, that there's a whole community that they, that they were engaging in. And that felt really cool to me. Um, and then I think beyond that, um, I was really, when, when I started reading, I, I hadn't read any, uh, slash before starting the research for this project. Um, and when I started reading the stories, I think particularly because, especially in the profile, uh, it was, there were mostly it talked about sort of teenage, uh, girls who were writing slash fiction. And I actually, I expected it to be, I expected it to be funny, you know, and, um, like in, in, in a way that, you know, uh, I would imagine girls writing about gay sex would be, but, um, reading it, I was, I, I actually found myself really moved. Um, and particularly because at the heart, I think of all of, or a lot of these stories, um, is, uh, this, is this sort of rom- romantic idealism in that the, the best person 
for you to be with is your is 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 like your best friend only only more. Um, and uh, I think that's what draws a lot of writers to the One Direction boys is that they're they're so close and comfortable with each other. Um, and um, so, particularly thinking about high school age kids writing that kind of fiction, it was kind of awesome because it stood in such contrast to like the way that I think of or remember high school relationships or high school sexual encounters, you know, and, and the idea that, that these writers would have such uh, a deep belief in love, probably in the face of like, you know, what let's say high school boys are or, or what high school sexual interactions are, um, was, was really kind of awesome. And, uh, that was, that was it. Uh, yeah, that's been, then, uh, Charlie wrote an awesome script, and I really wanted to make it, so we went from there. <laughs> you make it sound so easy. <laughs> it was a breeze. It's, 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 nice to, it's nice to get to the point when you start sort of forgetting about some of the stuff that went into it. And sometimes I, you know, because then, because, you know, there were, you know, we did, we did like a week of location scouting trips together, upstate New York and all over the place, uh, and would have these like really you know, in-depth conversations about, like, what town is she from? Or just all these little details. And it's kind of nice now at the other end when you're a month, a couple months, or almost a year away from that part of it uh, to sort of see what you made and start forgetting about some of those uh, minutiae that went into it. Uh, but it wasn't, wasn't always easy, for sure. Um, just so that our listeners know, we have had, Jeff and I have had the great pleasure of actually watching the first episode you're very lucky um we went absolutely bananas and um after watching it i was like i was kind of pissed because i wanted episode two yeah (laughs) i would i would binge this show so hard oh awesome not even joking um i'm a little bit curious what made you decide to shoot this uh, as a single episode, as a pilot, really, instead of maybe like a short film? What was your thinking there? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I mean, I don't think we did a short film because from the beginning, I think Charlie had a lot of story to tell and we had a lot of ideas. So okay. yeah. uh, for, for that reason, it made sense to be an episodic show. Uh, but we, um, I, think, I think we made, we made it a pilot. I, I think sort of I wanted to throw... This was a very ambitious concept to shoot, even in terms of creating a boy band that feels like realistically the biggest boy band in the world and creating fantasy scenes that are really cinematic and beautiful and having her world. There's a lot of locations, a lot of characters for a 22 minute piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think from my perspective, like, you know, I think we both wanted to just make it so sort of make something that would be a proof of concept that was really as close to what we would want it to be as, as it could be. Uh, and we want it to be something with a budget more than zero and with the ability to cast really good actors and, you know, do epic boy band videos, et cetera. So, uh, for, if we had tried to sort of shoot a whole series ourselves, you know, we just couldn't afford it. Uh, and the hope was like, maybe if we do one really, really good one that we can convince somebody to uh, help us go forward with that. Because mm-hmm. it really looked, it has, it has a great look to it. I mean, it looks like what you'd see on HBO or Lifetime or whatever, I, you know, right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, the, like, there were many, many, like, 
I mean, the crew to this was really fantastic, and I had more help on this than I've had in anything I've done before. Uh, like, our production designer was this incredible woman who, uh, you know, works on a lot of awesome TV shows and just did so much. Like, she, she this apartment, actually, that we, the, Emma's apartment, uh, was sort of an abandoned apartment that she wallpapered from scratch, and, like, we did a boy band photo shoot and put photos around the girls' rooms, and it really feels like a lived-in place. Um, and right, our right down to the dolls in the window. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a nice touch. Yeah, that was her like idea, that. too. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and our cinematographer was incredible, and just, you know, he, he called in favors from all of his friends and, you know, from everything. Our costume designer, like, we just, you know, it takes more than two people to, like, put something like this together and make it look that good. So I'm really happy that it that it does feel like it could be on HBO soon. And to note, too, Charlie's writing partner for your musicals, because you also write musicals, yes. helped you, yeah. you know, yeah. wrote, co collaborated with you on the boy band songs in the show. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that was so fun for us, too. Uh, I, I should say uh, Tim Rosser uh, wrote the music. Um, and, you know, I've been working with him for, we've uh, been writing shows together, I think, for, for about 10 years as well now or somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, but it was, it was a completely unique challenge to, to write boy band songs. Like we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> and so actually what he did first is he wrote, um, we, we wrote 17 different song snippets of, of, 17? you know, yeah, it was 17. As, and so it was like each were a minute long and it was, you know, some, some hook with a couple of verses and we just sent them out to friends and we were like, which one, you know, we pulled people. We were like, which, which sounds like a catchy boy band song to you. And, and so that's how we ended up with Baby It's You. Um, and that's when we brought on um, uh, this, this phenomenal uh, producer, uh, Luke Molman, uh, who, who really did a lot of the music, uh, collaborated with him on, uh, on, on, on making that song feel like a, like a radio pop song. Um, and then Dear Caroline, which is the other song in the episode sort of came very late actually when after screening the episode for a couple of people, the, the feedback that we kept getting is because we yeah, use, they only have one boy band song. <laughs> yeah, we use baby it's you at like every cue and they were like, you probably should have another song in there. So, then but yeah, it's, it's awesome to, even after walking out of the screening at Sirius Fest, there are a couple of people like humming that tune, which is, yeah, no. you know, and even, or after watching the trailer. So uh, you know, I think the dream, you know, if we can do a season of this or something and we'll have at least one song per episode and, you know, have a, have a whole album by the end of it or something. Sure. And get your iTunes download immediately right after the show. <laughs> there we go. We're plugging it now. <laughs> what was your process to try to find the tone? Cause to me, and you may have a different thought on this, but like Emma's reality seemed very, it harkened almost back to my so-called life to me and this place that she was in. And then you get these hyper reality scenes of the slash that is so hot and so energetic and so, you know, intense. Yeah. It's funny, actually, a, bunch, a, a lot of people were comparing it to my so-called life and tone. And I actually grew up without cable TV in the 90s <laughs> and I've never seen it. Uh, so I, I watched all of my so-called life after having shot this. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is a really good show. And uh, there <laughs> <some> movies, <laughs> even though that wasn't intentional. But um, the, I mean, Charlie can talk about it from like the writing point of view and, and what he was trying to do. I think it definitely was something where there are these like three 
physical worlds of like the boy band video and the Emma's reality and the fantasies. And I, we did want them to have like different, different vibes. And so there was a question of making sure that all work together. And, you know, I think when they're connected well, and when we take each part really, you know, sort of, I directed the boy band music video, like I'm directing a boy band music video. And, and then her world was just trying to be true to the character's journey and what they're going through. Uh, and the fantasies are trying to sort of, in a cinematic way, you know, sort of make those stories come to life. Um, and I'm pleasantly, uh, I'm, I'm pleased that it works as totally well as it does. Cause that was certainly a concern, you know, in the shooting. But. Yeah. I, yeah. I think from a, from a writing perspective, um, it was, it was also sort of important cause you're right that, that, that is a balance, but I, th I think that as long as the fantasy sequences um, are, are, are emotionally motivated. It's as long as the fantasy sequences are telling the same story as the hyper-realist sort of, uh, teen drama at the center of it, that, that, you know, Emma discovers these fantasy sequences and it is about enjoying the fantasy sequences, but it's also about Emma's, uh, sexual awakening and discovering of this, of, of this whole world that she had been, uh, not aware of. Um, and so I think, I think, and that's something that we talk about too for future episodes is that, is that I think that the, if, as long as everything is written, even the most over the top stuff is written in a true to character way and is introduced for character reasons, I think, I think you go along for that ride in maybe a way that you wouldn't if it was more just sort of like, oh, and here are the fantasy sequences and we're just enjoying them on, on that level. What I was taken by is that in a relatively short period of time the episode is like what 22 minutes yeah I um so. i think what was really amazing is that you um in such a, a a compact period of time you really drilled down to and explored uh what fandom uh is all about and then uh using the slash the creativity of the the slash fiction to uh explore her you know essentially her sexual awakening yeah. um so i thought uh it was really really well done um cuz sometimes you know when you when you try to tell someone you know what slash is if they've never heard of it it's kind of like you know it's like well you know it's real life people having sex or it's Kirk and Spock's getting it on or it's sort of awkward and weird to explain. But I think in, uh, in this episode, you really, um, uh, you, you explain it and put it forth in, uh, in intelligent and, uh, very earnest and honest way. I think. Oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think, cause I think it was very important to both of us that, um, I think the easy thing to do um, sometimes when uh, I, th I think that it's, it, I think it's, it, it's easy to look at a subculture that you don't understand and, and distance yourself from it and sort of give it a, a broad wash of like, Oh, isn't this strange and different from my own experience? And, and I think that particularly, I mean, given that, I don't know, when we, when we looked at the community and the, and the kind of writing that was going on, um, it, just, it just felt like what we wanted to do, like one thing if we could, with this show, if we could, you know, introduce Slash to a wider audience in a way that actually, you're right, like 
explains what it is and explains why it's valuable and how it's, you know, how it is. Like uh, one thing that you said in the yeah. interview once is that it, it's it's a lot it's it's a lot more I mean if a lot of the writing is more progressive like it's it's kind of funny that that people got introduced to like erotic fan fiction through Fifty Shades of Grey because like you know comparatively like a lot of the stuff that's that's on the internet is 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 incredibly progressive and it's 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 really cool and it's the kind of stuff that that people don't publish enough you know. Um, so yeah, I had someone come up to me actually after oh, a screening and uh, said like, you know, I'm a straight dude who like never heard of this. And I was strangely like really into this teen girl discovering gay sex fantasies. <laughs> I was like, that's great. You know, like, and I think, you know, and I, I've always, you know, Charlie's got an incredible ability to like take ideas that I always at the beginning, you know, that, that sound like, oh, how is that going to work? How are you going to, how are you going to understand that and make them like, amazingly yeah earnest human stories you know with also you know fair degree some humor and and fun so Mm -hmm. and that kind of sinks to a question i had what did your actors think of this show as you started casting and putting the script in front of them because not only is there the the you know the teenage my so-called life sort of thing to it but then you've got the boy band doing boy band stuff but also these really hot scenes at the same time, but it all meshes together into this package. Yeah, we we uh, we had a, we had an amazing casting director helping helping uh, find some of these actors, and uh, from the beginning, I think we she made the script available to everybody just because we didn't want anyone coming into audition who wasn't going to be comfortable with any of that. Uh, and uh, and so all the people we got were really into the story, and uh, I don't know. What, yeah, I mean, and also I think that. I think I think both the cast was incredibly professional, and I, I think the way that you ran the set was 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 very careful, and 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 there was always an open dialogue and communication, particularly with the sex scenes, because um, I think uh, I mean we we did really luck out. Everyone was very professional and comfortable, and there was no um, uh, you know the scenes were very yeah. I, I've never I've never done scenes like that before, but it's. I, in certain ways, those were the easiest days because everybody is like over prepared because it could be sensitive, you know. So everybody talks about it beforehand, and uh, you know it's not as sexy on set as it comes off in the final product with the music and the close-ups and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, there really that stuff went off without a hitch. Who do you see as the primary audience for the show? Um, well, well, first the straight dude who you met. <laughs> uh, no, uh, uh, I, you know, I think that I think, and I'm so bad with this stuff because like my, my answer to all of these questions is always like me because I wrote it and I really like it. I mean, I mean, um, every, everyone, like everyone has come of age and everybody has, has had, you know, some, some first experience or some awkwardness. And so in that way, like, I do feel like it's universal in a lot of ways. We've yeah. talked about obviously certain audiences are probably going to be immediately hear the concept and be more into it. Like gay men, women, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, uh, I think the mix of like people also who are, who have a bit of, um, uh, pop, uh, people who like pop music. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a bit of a pop culture, 
people who wouldn't watch my so-called life now and be nostalgic about it. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think yeah. that that is that is really true. And 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 yeah, and and so I think that I think that the good thing about the show, hopefully, is that that there are uh, different access points for different people. That everyone can be on board with Emma's journey. Um, but then also, uh, as we expand out with the show, and uh, you know, it, it, over the course of the season, it we we get to explore the other members of the group. Um, there's, you know, there there are different personalities, and and will be different ways ways in for for different people. Because um, I think each of the because I think you know uh, one question that we get a lot from people outside of the the community is well, wh why would um, why would people why would high schoolers like that write slash and like you know the answer is there are five million answers yeah. and, and we why can't, not yeah. yeah 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 and so but but at least when we get when we get to explore the group a little bit more we can we can also you know Emma has a very definite reason why she writes or why why she's come to the community Kara does um, and I think when when we start to see the other characters. Um, they uh, they will have their own perspectives on on, on that, and and I think that'll broaden broaden the show for people too. Yeah, Ma Magnus, who's a, a actor who came out with me at Serious Fest, called these like sexual fairy tales, which makes a lot of sense to me. That you know, every kids learn all sorts of morals through fairy tales or through uh, you know fables, and this is kind of the same thing. And they're actually quite good lessons. <laughs> Uh, you mean in in slash in, in, in slash the stories? Yeah, within this within the stories that you know, as the girls write and read these stories, sort of uh, helping them understand the things that are going on in real life. Uh, Without sabotaging the, the shopping around that you're doing, where would where where would you like to see this series end up, or like what are your top choices? Well, I think I mean, well, do you, do you want to go for it? Yeah, I. I think that it's um, it's it's been an interesting experience for us because a lot of it is a learning process for us about um, what uh, you know what different outlets a are looking for and and b what outlets are going to uh, long term support the show because that's that's actually I think more of a concern for us is is that um, you know we don't we don't want to have to move the show far away from the center of what, of what it is or the story that we wanted to tell. Um, and, uh, you know, clearly over the course of getting something from an independent pilot to, to being on, on, uh, you know, uh, distributed, uh, there, there may have to be changes or, or re rethinking some things. But, um, I think that it's, it's sort of, been important for us in, in, in taking these meetings, hearing what people think the core of the story is and what, uh, what in it they like about it a lot. Um, and, uh, and then sort of from there deciding like, can we be collaborators on this? Can, is, is this, is this the right way to move forward? Um, because I do think we're fairly specific in a way of like who we think these people are and, and, and what, what we think is, the reason to tell a story about a, a slash fiction writer's group, you know? I mean, the, the exciting, uh, uh, exciting slash scary thing, we're in this like new era where people are making independent pilots or where web series, broad city, high maintenance, all these, you know, are starting to be picked up by major networks. 
which is sort of why we could do this and why we can hope to mm -hmm. uh, to go on with it, you know, in that way. This is all like brand new in the last year or two, kind of. Uh, and so uh, there, there are a number. I think you know there are sort of options like from brought, from from cable networks to like newer online channels or digital outlets uh, that are popping up, and we're kind of learning all about that right now as we go, but. I think it's, you know, I think when we have conversations with these places, you can sort of start to understand what their audience is and what they're looking for from shows that they're developing. And there are a number of options and some of them like seem very different from each other. And we're, you know, uh, uh, definitely depending on where it lands. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's all very exciting. <laughs> um, just out of curiosity, how, how long uh, have you been on this particular journey from the uh, initial idea to pre-production to shooting to uh, all the way up to recently you were at um, Series Fest. When did you get the idea? Uh, I think it was I think it was about a year ago that I got the general idea to um, write a story about a slash fiction writer, and that went through four completely different attempts at what the story would be before I think I even showed anyone the script. Like I wrote four different um and i just hated everything i was doing and then and then the idea of of, of i guess i think it was originally it was about a uh a, a girl who had just graduated from college a little bit more of an interaction between her and the boy band up front and it was she worked for either you know the label or the manager and there were you know so um uh and everything felt a little plastic or like not 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 realistic um but you, you had sort of the current version of the scripts in august maybe probably yeah. um and and uh charlie applied to austin film festival with the script and it was a finalist there uh which actually he went to the festival like and came back the morning or the night before we started shooting oh yeah we yeah, um, yeah. so i think for we like I knew we like we made the decision to really do it like around September, and then we're looking for a casting director to help us start that, and really like cast it in October and November. Started shooting the boy band stuff late October, shot the rest of it in November, uh, like across like eight or nine days, um, and so I guess we were doing like location scouting and pre planning also in September, October, yeah. uh, trying to figure out the crew and all this stuff, and uh, then. Uh, yeah, it was a whirlwind and then sort of, I edited it mostly in December, January, and then sort of, we had a, we had a decent rough cut by January and sort of the last 5% drags on for a couple months as like we did, uh, we recorded this like full orchestral score for the fantasy scenes, um, which was, we both went to Oberlin college and I actually went back there and like, you know, got a 30 piece student orchestra, uh, to, to do that part of it. So that happened in February and then sort of just the last tweaks of sound design and showing it to people and like recording the second boy band song, as Charlie said. Um, so I was also doing a couple other jobs uh, because I was completely out of money at that point. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, sort of final, final touches in May, right before a series fest, really. A year is not 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 bad at all for this. Yeah, it was like, it was like even eight months, nine yeah. months. Yeah. Um, you know, and we could have if we had been working on it full time all the time, it probably could have been less than that. Um, sure. But uh, 
yeah, it was about about a year. It's crazy to. Does that feel like a long time ago or not that long ago? No, I, I, I don't think yeah. so. It's, it's the quickest anything's happened for quick, me. Yeah. So, I, how far out do you have the series mapped? Uh, just the first season, so the first ten episodes, um, and uh, which I'm flex. We're, we're flexible on both in the number of episodes that we tell it in, but um, and and obviously the story. Uh, but uh, but yeah, as of now. Our, our main preferences would be to have t- a 10 episode first season. Um, but that seems fairly standard these days, the way they, yeah, the way they yeah. table and, and online shows work. Yeah. So like it felt Netflix like, and stuff. Yeah. It felt right for this kind of show. And, um, and uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of, it sort of was, was comprehensible enough that like you could basically tell one giant arc over the course of the season. So it wasn't, you didn't have to do these like, you know, little sort of shuffling things around on the chessboard and like, what's the turn this, you know, uh, but, but at the same time, it, it gave enough breathing room to, to really feel like we could flesh everyone out and, 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 and really tell the story. So, Are there plans to get the pilot out for people to see while you're working on getting it out to series? Um, not quite yet. I think we, we want to. So we are we are ta- talking to a bunch of production companies and soon hopefully some networks and while that happens, uh, it's prudent not to release it publicly. Build up that you know that desire to see it hopefully, and if enough enough people then go begging the networks to pick us up. Uh, Who should we be writing letters to? <laughs> yeah, just like we'll we'll give we'll give home telephone numbers. <laughs> Everybody, yeah. Um, but we. Uh, I guess I'll use this opportunity to plug our email list on our website, truth-fiction.com. And we've got a Facebook page, truth-fiction, and our Twitter handle is truth-fic. Truth-fic. Uh, so those are ways, you know, we'll send up, we're sending out updates and releasing also like behind the scenes pictures and all sorts of things. So uh, if you follow us there, you'll be the first to know as we, you know, we also may play in a couple more festivals over the next few months. So, uh, we'll let you know if we're in a city close to you and that's the way to really see it before we get our huge network deal. <laughs> and what was, I mean, we know you won the a couple of awards at Sirius Fest. What was the reaction to your two, it was two screenings, right? I imagine yeah. it must've been pretty good to get the snag the awards. It was awesome. We'd never shown it. Like we've, we've in our living room, we've screened it for like three to five people to get notes. Um, but uh, I'd never seen it with more than that. And, and all of a sudden to have like 60, 70 people uh, react to a joke or a shocking moment or whatever it is, is awesome. Um, and, you know, and every audience like sort of reacts differently. And I was terrified, like, what if, you know, no one laughs or no one, you know, but the audience was great. And sort of as the festival went on, more and more people were coming up to me and like telling me what they liked about it. And that was really awesome. So, uh it's it's obviously not uh, it's awesome to like see it on a huge screen, which is not how anyone will see it because it's a TV show. Right. Um, but uh, if you do get a chance to meet us at a film festival, it is kind of cool to see it on a huge TV. <laughs> so in this journey, what's been some of the best slash that you've read? If you had to direct people towards slash, where would you send them? <laughs> Okay, um, I am. I, I need to look up the, the the screen names of the authors, but 
I think for me, there was this great uh, piece of Larry Fick, you know, which is uh, Lewis and Harry. Um, that's the pairing that is, I think, the most popular because they're the... Um, From One Direction. Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, it's an alternate universe uh, story where Harry... Is, chapter, multi-chapter multi story, where Harry is a uh, team manager for uh, Manchester United football team and Lewis is like the star player and uh, it's just it's it's really it, that was one of the stories where I was like the um, the it, it actually didn't have a ton of sex in it. It, it it had it had some and the sex writing was good but the 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 um, the the emotions were I mean I was just like it's like you know, <laughs> sitting on the subway, like scrolling through a PDF on my iPhone, like crying, <laughs> and, like being like completely embarrassing. So uh, I think I think that was that was the one that really stood out to me. Um, but there were there were a bunch. Um, there were the problem is a lot of them take place at um, boarding schools, and I they also like those sort of like start to blend together a little bit. So I can't really remember. Like everything that took place at like a college or a boarding school all sort of seems like one giant story to me right now. Yeah, a lot of the writing is really, it's just really, really good writing. I guess that's what I didn't, I didn't know, you know, expect, I didn't know what to expect, I suppose. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm actually halfway through that 200 page novel right now. <laughs> but also, uh, uh, yeah, it's quite good. Yeah, if you want to send me the link to that, I'll put it in our show notes so, oh, our, so our audience yeah, can go yeah, and yeah. find it. Absolutely, because that would be cool. I have to say that of the of the fantasy sequences, the the was it? A, I guess it was a World War One trench. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something yeah. about that one that was like that was the one for me of the ones that were in the show. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I like that one too. Um, the the actors uh, in that were that shoot day was was particularly fun. They they sort of started making up um sort of when the cameras weren't rolling this this whole uh dialogue scene that that was that was basically these two like uh boy banders who weren't prepared for war like <laughs> sitting in this trench being like where are my snacks <laughs> like, <laughs> like i'm not getting any reception verizon so it was, yeah, it was the, a fun day the fantasies are just so they're just like really fun for every reason i think to like you know, I'm sure they're fun to write. They're, they're fun to shoot, fun to write. and they're fun. Or you know, they're well, maybe they're sort of hard to. They're hard to find locations or build sets for. But after that happens, uh, I that's like just very fun. I don't know, I, I'm excited to do many more of those. Do many more. Yes, yeah. absolutely. One more time before we leave, where can uh, people keep up with what's going on with True Slash Fiction? So our website is truth-slash-fiction.com. You can also go to facebook.com slash truth-slash-fiction, twitter.com slash truth-slash-fic. A lot of slashes when I add Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> um, and instagram.com slash truth-slash-fiction. Uh, and there's an email list on our website. So whichever your preferred method of having information delivered, delivered to, you. to you, we've got we've got it covered. Cool. Uh, so yeah, check us out and... Uh, Hopefully more soon. Hopefully. We're definitely on your email list. And uh, when you get that deal, come on back and talk to us some more. <laughs> <We> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, awesome. Of course. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. 
Thank you once again to Charlie and Daniel for taking a moment out of their busy Hollywood lives to talk to us about truth slash fiction. Now, once again, sadly, you can't watch this pilot online, but we recommend that you connect with them online, mm -hmm. uh, check them out on social media, because uh, they keep it uh, fairly updated, and you never know, they there could be a screening or a festival somewhere near you, and you might have a chance to see it. And their social media also has the songs available. Oh, yes, really uh, great songs. That Good are stuff. out there, <laughs> and they do interact with the fans, sign up for their emailing list um, from the site, you know, connect with them, like them, follow them, etc., to make it known that you're, you're behind the pilot, so yeah. that maybe it does get picked up yeah. by somebody. Um, and speaking of Slash, you think anybody writes Matt Fraser Slash? Hmm. Or CrossFit Slash? Hmm. If they're not, they should be. Somebody should be. Indeed. <laughs> so just a reminder, we've got a poll running this month because we want to know about you, our listeners. Are you a reader, an author, an author who also reads, or are you just hanging out on the show because you like it? Uh, take a moment, click the button on the show notes for episode 41 so we can know. And while you're there, also a reminder, hit that raffle copter for the giveaway. Mm-hmm. Now, coming up next week in episode 42, Deanna Wadsworth will be here as part of the 2016 GRL blog tour, and Michael Vance Gurley will be here to talk about his new novel, The Long Season. You had a really good interview with him. I did. It was really long, because we just kept talking. You get two of us who like hockey, and we write books about it, and we just go. Yeah. It's a good interview, everyone. Be sure and uh, tune in next week. All right. Have a good week, and we'll see you later. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. New episodes are available every Monday at iTunes and other major podcast outlets. While there, subscribe to the show and please consider leaving a review. For detailed show notes, links, and to sign up for the monthly newsletter, visit BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Bye!